you found the Diggin' Oak Island podcast, the podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. I'm David Bry. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also help us out by leaving us a five-star rating there. Also, I invite you to join us on Twitter and Facebook. You can follow the show at Diggin' Oak Island. Before we get started today, I just want to thank everyone for your responses from our last podcast. I knew this subject would bring a lot of debate and opinions, and that's exactly what we got from you guys. I promise I'm going to return to that subject soon and discuss your emails and your opinions that you sent in to me. Uh, If you didn't listen, go back and download it. It's a conversation with geologist Dr. Stephen Aiken, who believes the science reveals the money pit is nothing more than a naturally formed sinkhole. Uh, fascinating conversation with a really smart guy. But now on to our topic for today. In this podcast, we present part two of the life and times of Captain William Kidd, that most famous pirate who probably wasn't actually a pirate at all. But before we continue our swashbuckling tale of intrigue and betrayal, let me just bring you up to speed a little bit on where we are in our story with a kind of a quick recap of part one. William Kidd was born in Scotland and most likely spent much of his young life at sea, either in the Navy or perhaps as a privateer. And it seems he certainly did at least spend some time as a pirate as well. After the Nine Years' War broke out in 1689 between England and France, Kidd and his fellow pirate buddy, Robert Culliford, mutinied against their French pirate captain, stole his ship, and became something of local heroes for doing so. But the two pirates didn't remain friends for long. Kidd, who was appointed captain of the stolen ship, which was renamed the Blessed William in honor of the newly crowned king, wanted to use said ship to help in the British cause, while Culliford wanted to use it to plunder and pillage like anyone would expect a good pirate to do. So Culliford betrayed his old friend, stole this ship out from under him, uh, and uh, left Kidd stranded in the Caribbean. Eventually, William Kidd would make his way to the New World and take up residence in the colonial pirate haven of New York City. That's exactly what it was at the time. There, Kidd helped the local established government put down a political uprising called Leesler's Rebellion, uh, putting him in good in the good graces with uh, New York's leadership, kind of political leadership there, and also became quite the successful merchantman and businessman himself. He also managed to marry a twice-widowed, extremely rich 21-year-old named Sarah Bradley Cox Ort, whose second husband happened to die conveniently only a few days before she and Kidd would then marry. (laughs) Uh, Their marriage made William Kidd one of the richest men in all of New York City and all the colonies, I guess. One would think a life of luxury and uh, with a lovely bride, a lovely young bride, would be enough for a man of the 17th century, but not for Captain Kidd. He wanted adventure and excitement. He was about to get plenty of it. So along with the newly appointed royal governor of New York, a man wonderfully named Lord Bellamont, and a local businessman named Robert Livingston, Kidd went to London and convinced the King of England himself to build Kidd a big ship and grant him a privateering contract to attack any and all pirates as well as any enemy vessels, you know, like the French, that kind of thing. But also, said contract specifically ordered Kidd to not attack any ship deemed friendly to the crown, which at the time was quite a long list of countries, including the Dutch, the Spanish, the Portuguese, just to name a few. Now, it must be pointed out that this entire enterprise was, at its very core, a business arrangement between Kidd, the two men I mentioned before, 
and also the king and some really powerful anonymous investors. I mean, these were guys who were among the richest and really most powerful men in all of the British Empire. Let me be plain. This was a rather shady deal struck to make piles of money for these very powerful men. But at the same time, it was also a deal that really wasn't particularly a great deal for Kidd and his would-be crew, who by terms of this contract would take a much smaller share of the plunder than the average privateer contract would allow. But Kidd was a supremely arrogant man who was very sure of his abilities and talents. So if the king needed pirates to be rooted out somewhere in the world, Captain Kidd was convinced there was no one better for the job in this world than Captain Kidd. So the king built him this gorgeous new galley named the Adventure. And in early 1696, Kidd and his ship put to sea. Of course, this is is William Kidd. He put to sea, uh, not without pissing off the Royal Navy on his way out of London. But you'll need to listen to part one for that story. It involves mooning. Just a little preview there for you to get you to go back and listen. Kidd then headed back across the Atlantic to New York to find a suitable crew for his glorious mission. But since the terms of his contract were so bad, this task of finding men to, to, to crew a ship proved almost impossible amid New York's less than, well, let's call them less than patriotic group of local sailors, most of who were probably former pirates. Uh, and it probably makes sense to point out at this point that um, one would make a much larger share of the plunder on a pirate ship than even on a standard privateer. So these guys weren't really interested in uh, cut rate just to, uh, you know, do the king's bidding. To help Kid with this problem, uh, the good captain decided to rewrite those terms on his own, promising way more to the crew than his investors had ever agreed to. And soon, you guessed it, all the best pirates in Manhattan joined up to sail aboard the Adventure Galley under the command of local hero Captain Kidd. So on September 6th, 1696, the ship with its crew of 150 weighed anchor and headed out of New York Harbor, sailing south on a mission to hunt for pirates, or the French. Of course, this was after Kidd had already essentially double-crossed his wealthy and politically influential investors and thoroughly annoyed the Royal Navy. And that is where we will pick up our story just after the break. The adventure galley was heading south to round the southern tip of Africa past the Cape of Good Hope and eventually to what was probably the biggest and most notorious non-Caribbean pirate haven of the time, Madagascar. On the way, Kidd lost a number of men to disease and quickly discovered his new prized ship, which was built in London at, like, record speed. Might have been built just a bit too quickly for its own good. Problems with the ship, namely leaking, would plague its captain and crew for really the rest of their time aboard her. Kidd also had another run-in with the Royal Navy before he could find his first pirate prize. As they approached the southern tip of Africa, the lookout of the adventure spotted a sail on the horizon and then a few more. It was a naval squadron, and they were heading for Kidd. Now, keep in mind, this is an era when the Navy basically took whoever they wanted from wherever they wanted and pressed them into service on their ship. Serving in the Navy was not any fun, and it wasn't really easy to find crewmen, so especially if they lost a few at sea for one reason or another. So they found, usually just took them. 
The Navy would especially love to take a few ex-pirates off a passing privateer vessel, and they routinely did just that. So as you can imagine, um, you know, Kid was going to try to make a run for it if he could. But soon the adventure was overtaken by the squadron, which was commanded by a rather unintelligent and cruel guy named Commodore Thomas Warren. Captain Kidd was confident his contract signed by the king himself would protect him, but he also knew full well that this encounter would eventually end with the loss of some of his crew being forced into service in the Navy. So one night, after dining and drinking with Warren and his officers, Kidd snuck away under the cover of darkness and sailed off, leaving an angry Warren and his squadron behind. Soon, the now-embarrassed Commodore Warren decided to start spreading rumors amongst the Navy as well as ships of the ubiquitous East India Company, and really anyone who would, he came in contact with who would listen to him, uh, that Captain Kidd was nothing more than a pirate hiding behind a privateer's commission. And the rumors stuck. For the rest of his voyage, Kidd would be wrongfully labeled and treated like a pirate by the Navy and the East India Company. All that for trying to save his crew from unwanted, painful, and potentially a lifetime of service in the Navy. Remember this incident, folks. His crew would soon all but forget how their captain really stuck his neck out for them in this. But honestly, though, at some point it would become hard to blame them for (laughs) not liking him much anymore. Uh, By the time the calendar turned to 1697, things were not exactly going as planned here aboard the Adventure Galley. More than 100 of his 150 men uh, fell sick. Probably a cholera or some other hideous thing like that that used to get back then. And like I mentioned earlier, a few of them even died. Records tell us about 40 men in all died, which is a big chunk of the crew. And the work of those lost men needed to be picked up by the remaining survivors. Additionally, like I also mentioned earlier, uh, the adventure had its problems with poor construction. And, and then there was always worms and this kind of thing that, that, uh, that ate at the bottom of a ship. It was constantly taking on water, which meant the crew had to take turns performing a god-awful task of pumping out the bilge. Below decks, knee-deep in salt water and disgustingly hot and humid bilge, probably filled with rats, pumping out this water by hand. It was not fun. Now, remember, Crew oversaw the design and construction of the Adventure Galley himself, so you can see how these poor sods down there might have been uh, cursing his name with every pump. Good deeds are quickly forgotten under such difficult circumstances. But the biggest issue of all was the mission's near total lack of success. Kidd was supposed to be returning with his plunder by the end of March 1697, but up to that point, he had really almost no plunder to return. They had a few minor successes, but the money they gained from these needed to be spent on supplies and repairs to this leaky ship. So just imagine what must have been happening aboard the Venture Galley at this time. This crew, like any such crew really, was willing to endure illness, back-breaking work, you know, potentially death, all for the promise of riches and, you know, plunder and that kind of thing. But Kid had basically no luck at all, even finding a pirate ship, no less capturing one. And here he is with his crew of former smugglers and pirates used to, you know, pirating. And all they have been doing up until now is sailing, sneaking around, and really plenty of suffering. Needless to say, the relationship between captain and crew was quickly deteriorating. The biggest problem Kidd had was convincing his crew to abide by this contract that he made with the king, and not just to sort of wantonly capture and plunder every ship they came across, but instead keep their hunting to pirates and ships under the flags of countries considered enemies to England. 
This wasn't exactly a group of zealot page, zealous patriots, as I said before, that the kid had hired here. Uh, for many, they never cared what flag a potential quarry sailed under before, and they were kind of disinclined to start caring much about that now. They wanted plunder, and Kid wasn't providing enough of it, if any at all. And probably the most important part of all this, especially when it comes to Kid's eventual fate, is that Captain William Kid did indeed insist they keep to their agreement. And every time a potential target came their way, a battle of wills between captain and crew would commence. If this were a pirate ship, the crew would have voted the captain out by this point, probably make him walk the plank, and, uh, and then just appoint a new captain. That couldn't happen here. It was all on kid, and it wasn't going well, to say the least. As an example, at one point while sailing in the Indian Ocean, the adventure galley came across a local merchant ship sailing under an English flag. While Kidd and the other ship's captain, a man named Parker, drank and dined in their quarters, a few of Kidd's men rode over to Parker's ship, attacking the crew and stealing whatever valuables they could find. When Kidd found this out, he tore into these guys verbally and forced them to return what they had stolen. Hardly something one would expect a pirate to do. Parker even decided to stay aboard the adventure, I think <laughs> willingly, to act as Kidd's navigator as he sailed unfamiliar waters around India. Along with a Portuguese translator who also spoke many local dialects. Again, I think these two did this willingly. The going was going to be tough here too. Without getting too far into the story, and it's a crazy story that includes a few ships of the East India Company, the striking of pennants, and this huge pile of arrogance on Kid's part, Kid was now also very well and truly on the bad side of the East India Company, who was going around spreading rumors across the world that Kid had turned pirate. Now, while trying to turn his mission into a success, Kid had them to worry about, this giant company. And let me just say this again. The company was spreading rumors based on bad information. In fact, the company sent a couple of informants out to spy on Kid, one of them being a guy named William Mason, who had helped Robert Culliford steal the blessed William out from under Kid 10 years earlier. This is not exactly an honest and unbiased broker here. So the East India Company was calling Kid a pirate around the world based on information they got from a guy who robbed Kid of his ship for the sole reason that Kid wouldn't become a pirate. I mean, at one point in his life, William Kid was a very lucky man. You know, he had a lot of luck in his side, but that luck had well and truly run dry by 1697. And as is usual with rumors like this, especially rumors at sea, the more the story of Kidd's supposed turn to piracy was told, the worse and worse it got. In September of 1697, the Portuguese actually sent two ships after Kidd to capture him, and I guess to liberate, uh, quote-unquote, Captain Parker's old translator, based, again, mostly on false information. When they caught up with him, Kidd was severely outgunned by the Portuguese ships, but he used his superior seamanship to isolate the smaller of the two Portuguese ships and pretty much blow it to splinters in a fight that lasted hours. With the bigger ship approaching, Kid ran, leaving behind even more quote-unquote evidence of his treachery for now the Portuguese Navy and the East India Company to spread around the globe. It was now just about a year since Kid had left New York Harbor to catch pirates in whatever French vessels he could find, and still with little to no success on either front. Add to that the fact that Kid was now, he had now at this point missed his return date by a long way, 
putting him in breach of contract <laughs> and leaving his investors wondering where their money went. And as Kidd's reputation around the world spiraled down the proverbial toilet, I can only imagine how nervous these anonymous money guys back in London were actually getting and how willing they were to turn on Kidd and blame him for this entire debacle. Kidd was now sailing around India, pretty much unable to pull a ship into most any port to resupply due to the fact that every great power in the area was now hunting him as a pirate, including his very own country. But remember, William Kidd was beyond arrogant, and he certainly, he, he, was, he was absolutely 100% certain he was going to succeed in this mission. But believe it or not, things were about to get a lot worse. What happens next is perhaps the defining incident of William Kidd's life, and also probably the most damning evidence, really, for the events leading up to his execution. Oops, sorry, spoiler alert. He gets executed. Now, before we get into this particularly sordid tale, let me just remind you again of where we are here in all this. Let me reset the scene. It's the autumn of 1697. The Adventure Galliot's crew and captain have been at sea for well over a year, sailing halfway around the world, hunting pirates and enemy French vessels in the name of the king, only to come up pretty well empty. One could just imagine the mood of the crew at this point aboard this leaky ship, finding a port uh, to do even the most basic things, you know, like get food and water, that kind of thing, was now a very dicey proposition. Also, Kidd, by, and by extension his crew, are now known around the world as deadly pirates not to be trusted, and it appears by this point some of his crew were more than willing to play the part. In October... Kid and the Adventure Galley left the port in India, looking to hopefully salvage at least some success out of this failure of a mission. Soon they spotted a ship and ran it down, prepared to plunder it. But once again, Kid's luck failed him. The ship was flying under a British flag, and it turned out to be a vessel belonging to the East India Company called the Loyal Captain. Its commander, a one Captain Howe, showed Kid all the respect and all the... <laughs> you know, reverence that kid could ever ask for. Remember, if nothing else, kid was an egomaniac. So such respect probably went a long way to making things nice and fun here along the adventure for Captain Howe. And keep in mind, Howe had probably heard the rumors and was well aware of what his superiors had thought of kid (laughs) and the uh, crew of the adventure. But hey, a good meal, a few bottles of wine, some well-placed compliments, all's hunky-dory. Out told Kid, the loyal captain was only hauling sugar for the company. But as the crew started chatting amongst themselves while the captains were, you know, toasting each other down below in the captain's quarters, it seems one of the loyal captain's crew mentioned something about gold and silver. Now imagine the situation for a second. Start for success. This mention of gold must have been like, you know, parading a bag of cheeseburgers in front of a pride of hungry lions. Up stepped William Moore, the gunner of the Adventure Galley. The gunner is an important position in the crew, so what he said and did carried weight amongst the men. Moore and a handful of guys attempted to sneak over to the loyal captain and plunder away, but Kid caught him just before they could leave the adventure, and a terrible argument ensued. Some of the Adventure Galley's crew, led by the gunner Moore, were arguing vehemently with Kid to be allowed to take Howe's ship, while Kid and the crewmen still loyal to him were arguing not to 
Again, folks, keep this in mind. Reports say that upward of two-thirds of, or maybe even more of Kidd's crew wanted to attack this East India ship, the loyal captain. But Kidd, despite being unfairly treated and branded as a pirate by the East India Company, steadfastly refused to attack one of their ships. He argued with his men for what must have been hours and it wasn't until he threatened to leave these guys <laughs> stranded there, uh, you know, whoever wanted to sack Cow's ship, just leave them stranded here in India, that these guys finally relent. This is hardly the actions of a deadly pirate. Folks, we're out at sea here. Take the gold, kill the crew, sink the ship. No one knows the difference. Kid wouldn't do it. Captain Howe did what anyone would do <laughs> under the circumstances, really. He got back on his ship and he hightailed it the hell out of there. But as we will come to find, this story of how Captain Kidd risked his life in front of a crew of angry and armed pirates to save a ship of the East India Company apparently didn't make it to the rumor mills, nor did it serve to uh, change the minds of the East India Company's leaders about the kind of man Kidd was. No good deed goes unpunished when you have a run of bad luck like that of William Kidd in 1697. A short time later, the adventure saw another ship on the horizon, and they closed in again, hoping to finally have a prize. But alas, Kidd's luck was no better than every other time before. This was a Dutch ship, and the Dutch were allies of the British at the time, fighting on England's side of the war. Moore and his, the gunner Moore and his fellow miscreants spoke up again, and insisted Kidd take this ship. According to testimony at Kidd's trial, Moore even came up with a way of sort of making it all look legal should they, you know, should they get caught doing this. They were going to do that by tying up and torturing this Dutch crew until they agreed to sign some paper that said the adventure didn't steal anything from them. But once again, Kidd refused, and another heated argument began. The two hurled insults back and forth and threats, until Kidd picked up a bucket and swung it at Moore. Now, remember, this is an old, heavy wooden bucket that was made with these metal hoops around it, right? The bucket struck Moore on the side of the head and fractured his skull. William Moore died of his wounds the next day. So now you can add murder to Captain Kidd's rap sheet. In fact, We'll come to find out during the trial that the charge was really premeditated murder, though it's hard to see how premeditated it could have been. The fact that this was a fight to keep his crew from turning to piracy and attacking an allied ship would soon become very much besides the point, I guess. Now Kidd had a high-ranking member of his crew lying dead by his own hand, and maybe as many as 100 men aboard his ship on the verge of all-out mutiny. The only thing... At this point, standing between the adventure galley and any innocent ship, any allied ship that might just pass by, was Captain Kidd. Again, hardly something one can say about a real pirate. By November of 1697, Kidd was still at sea hunting for pirates. Kidd used an old trick called, by the, that the French call a ruse de guerre, which is basically the hoisting of a false flag to fool potential prey. This time, Kidd hoisted a French flag to lure in a ship called the Ruparel. Despite being probably of Dutch and Indian origin, the captain of the Ruparel presented Kidd with French papers. Delighted, Kidd took the ship as a prize. 
Now, this was by letter of the law, a legal capture, and you could see why Kidd agreed with his crew, who had also voted pretty much unanimously to capture the Ruparel. If it ever came to court, the captain of the Ruparel would probably have to answer for why he presented essentially enemy papers, false ones too, and prove that he wasn't, in fact, sympathetic to the enemy. Let's face it, one more denial of a prize by the captain and a denial of what was easily considered a legal catch would probably mean an all-out mutiny aboard the Adventure Galley. But you can also probably see why maybe this whole incident would not really serve to help Kidd's legal case in the future. It's just another log to add on the fire, so to speak. A ruse de guerre was indeed a standard trick employed by privateers and pirates alike back in these days. Uh, So, too, was carrying fake papers. The captain of the Ruparel likely presented what were fake French papers precisely because Kidd's trick had worked. It worked perfectly, and he assumed he was doing the safe thing by presenting French papers to what he thought was a French vessel. One would guess the Ruparel probably also had other papers on board saying they were maybe Dutch or English or Indian, you name it. Again, this was standard operating procedure back then. Yet, I guess you can say Kid could have worked all this out and not taken the Ruparel if he was uh, indeed convinced of its true origins. But really, at what cost to him personally? Listen, under normal privateer circumstances, this whole incident would never have been much of an issue. But when the king and other very powerful men are involved, things are a little different. My guess is, if not for the desperation of the crew and the idea of, you know, saving his own neck, Kid might have very well let the Ruparel go. But he just couldn't afford to do that here. Either way, the deed was done. Kid had a prize. In truth, it wasn't much of one, but it was something to give his crew, and it kept his mission alive. In true privateer tradition, the Ruparel was renamed the November after the month it was captured and was now part of Kid's new pirate hunting fleet. The two ships sailed the waters around India for a few more weeks, again with no luck finding pirates or French ships to attack. That is, until January of 1698 when Kid spied a rather big Armenian merchant ship named the Kita Merchant. Now, this is hard to explain, but basically the Kita merchant made a huge mistake during this encounter with Kid because they sent over a fake captain to meet with Kid over on the adventure. He was some old French guy with papers saying the ship was from the French East India Company. And then he promptly surrendered the Kita merchant to Kid. I mean, really, Kid had hit the jackpot here, or so he thought. The cargo hold of the Kita merchant was stuffed full with bales of silk, other extremely valuable textiles, and probably lots of opium as well. Enough to make this entire mission not only worthwhile, but also profitable for everyone involved. To boot, while inspecting the captain's quarters, Kit found a chest filled with diamonds, gold, and jewels, and that kind of thing. Something right out of a pirate movie, really. Now, at some point during this capture of the Kita merchant, Kid was told the actual captain of the ship was this Englishman named John Wright. When he talked to Wright, however, Wright denied being the captain, but he did tell Kid that his new prize was being financed by someone in the English East India Company. Kid explained all of this to his crew, who, despite this information, voted to take the ship as a prize and sail it to the notorious pirate port of Ile Saint Marie off the coast of Madagascar. This time, Kid decided not to fight his crew. And you really can understand the rationale behind his decision here. This really was a legal capture, and Kid had the papers to prove it. But one must wonder if he would have made the same decision if he knew that some of the booty he was taking 
was actually the property of the Grand Mogul, essentially the monarch or ruler of all of India. So now Kidd had a list of people he pissed off, which included the largest maritime trading company in the world, the Dutch, the Portuguese, the Royal Navy, some of the richest men in all of England, and now, unbeknownst to him, basically the entirety of India. I mean, honestly, if not for bad luck, Kidd would have had no luck at all. With his fleet of now three ships, Kidd made for Madagascar. On the way, he uh, put into port in southern India to trade some of his booty in for supplies uh, for his crew during their journey home. And while there, a few of his men essentially robbed a Portuguese ship. So like I said, add Portugal to that list of enemies. One morning, the sunrise revealed four big ships heading right for him. Two were Dutch, two were English uh, from the East India Company. They were coming to get him and put an end to this entire mission. Kidd, having faster ships, and also probably because he was really the superior sailor here, just barely escaped, and with all three of his ships. Kidd's three ships became separated on the journey across the Arabian Sea and south towards Madagascar. That happens a lot when you do these things. With Kidd at the helm of the adventure galley. When Kidd at last pulled into port at Isla St. Marie, being the first of his three vessels to make it, there was a single ship anchored in the harbor, and it was a pirate ship under the command of, you guessed it, Captain Robert Culliford. For all the gin joints in all the world. Gilles St. Marie, now known officially and locally as uh, Nosy Baraja, although I can pretty much guarantee you I'm pronouncing that wrong, uh, is a small 37-mile-long and 10-mile-wide island, kind of a finger of an island, located off the northeast coast of Madagascar. If you look at a map of Madagascar, there is this peninsula. It kind of looks like a little horn on, on the top right side of the map. If you follow that horn down, Illa St. Marie is just below there. Uh, let me also say a lot of people, especially Western tourists, <laughs> of which I would be one, still call it Illa St. Marie. Kind of like how Mount McKinley in Alaska is uh, officially called Denali, uh, but you still hear a lot of folks call it Mount McKinley. So don't correct me. I'm calling it Illa St. Marie from now on. <laughs> really, just to avoid embarrassment trying to pronounce that other name. Nowadays, the island is known for its incredible scenery, great scuba diving along a gorgeous coral reef, and apparently also some serious whale watching as I think humpback whales come there to breed or something like that. But at the end of the 17th century, it was known across the seven seas as a global center of pirate activity. In fact, the area was often rumored to be the location of the legendary pirate colony founded by Captain James' mission called Libertalia or something like that. Uh, you might have read about it in other pirate stories and legends. It's kind of a popular one. Libertalia was probably nothing more than a rumor, but it certainly was a cool rumor. If nothing else, look it up. If, like Captain Kidd, you were sailing around Africa and Asia looking for pirates in 1698, Ela St. Marie was a very good place to look. And Kidd found exactly what he was looking for. Not only had he found a pirate, he found his old nemesis, Robert Culliford, the Moby Dick to Kid's Ahab, the Joker to his Batman, the Roadrunner to his Wily Coyote. Culliford was once his friend and a fellow crewmate aboard a French pirate ship, and that seemed like a lifetime ago now. And as I mentioned earlier, Culliford betrayed Kid, stole his ship, and sailed off to become a successful pirate captain. And as luck would have it, here was Culliford's ship lying at anchor in plain sight for Kid to just salivate over. Maybe, just maybe, Kid's now incredibly bad luck was finally starting to turn a bit in his favor. 
Kidd wanted desperately to attack Color for ship, which was no longer the Blessed William, but was now a ship called the Mocha, which, coincidentally, he had stolen sometime earlier from the East India Company. Now imagine what must have been going through Kidd's mind here. Kidd was well aware of the trouble he was in, being called a pirate and such. Although he was always cocky enough to think he could talk his way out of nearly anything, let's face it, how different would his reputation be if he captured an incredibly rich ship, a notorious pirate captain, and returned stolen property back to the East India Company all at the same time? But Kidd was in an undermanned and leaking adventure galley, which was no match for Cullerford and his crew in a sea battle. So he parked the adventure just outside the harbor, hoping to keep the rat in his cage, so to speak, until his other two ships arrived. Then he would have the firepower to blow Cullerford away. Some weeks later, the November, you know, the ship formerly known as the Ruparel, arrived at Isla St. Marie, and a week after that, the Keita Merchant arrived as well. Now remember, most of his crew hated him at this point and probably weren't very good at taking any orders from him anymore either. One can easily imagine some of his crew hitting a few of the local pirate taverns on the island and probably, uh, you know, sharing a drink or two with Cullerford and his men, which might just explain what happened next. Kid called his crew back to the deck of the adventure galley and told them his plan. They were going to attack the Mocha, take their plunder, capture its scallywag of a captain, and sail the ship triumphantly back to the king and to the East India Company as their most glorious prize. But in what one could easily imagine as a scene right out of a Hollywood script, the crew pretty much all looked at each other and then looked back at Kid and said, Nuh-uh, we ain't doing that. In fact, most of them agreed and expressed verbally the fact that they would much rather kill Kid than ever fire a shot in anger at Robert Cullerford. Once again... Kid's nemesis had won. A huge portion of his crew, somewhere around 100 of his approximately 120 men, I think, chose to leave Kid sitting there at Ellis St. Marie and sail off with Captain Cullerford instead. For Kid, it was a complete and total disaster. The mission was over and it was time to go home. Despite the odds, though, Kid somehow, likely owning to the fact that this guy really was just a force of nature, uh, managed to keep the golden jewels and much of the loot aboard the Keita Merchant for himself and keep it from being you know, forcibly taken by Cullerford and the men that used to be part of his crew. Now, he just had to get all this stuff home safely on three ships with a crew totaling about 15 men, many of whom were nothing more than cabin boys. <laughs> This is not an easy task, to say the least. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Diggin' Oak Island podcast, a part three of the you know the final chapter of the life and times of Captain Kidd. We'll be coming up soon. There's a lot of research to do on that one. Um, I'm also going to let you in on a little something here. Um, like many of you, I'm sure, I'm not only a podcaster now, I'm also my son's kindergarten teacher for most of the week. So free time has pretty much evaporated here at my house. Um, so I might take a couple of weeks off here just to get the kids situated with school and all that kind of stuff and do a little research on what I want to do um, and line up a couple more interviews before we get to what is now officially going to be season eight of The Curse of Oak Island coming up this fall, though we don't have a date yet. 
Anyway, please subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you do enjoy the show, please rate and review us there with a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you listen. It helps to get the word out on us and get more ears to the show. You can also follow us on Facebook. We are at Digging Oak Island, also on Twitter. Uh, give us a like there. We very much appreciate it. And if you have any questions or comments that you would like to send directly to me, you can do so via email at digginoakisland at gmail.com. So until we speak again, I'm Dave McBride. Thank you for listening to Digging Oak Island.